Well, it's been a very sad day indeed for uh, people in the UK, uh, for people in London, uh, following the dreadful barbaric bomb attacks that uh, took place this morning. So Small Biz Pod today is dedicated to all those killed and injured in today's bomb blasts and to the emergency services and to the people of London. Hello, my name's Alex Bellinger and this is Small Biz Pod on Thursday the 7th of July. Coming up in today's show, I have an interview with a female entrepreneur based in Leeds. She and her business partner are using NASA space technology to build a unique pet care business. Also in the show, I have an interview with Greg Day from McAfee about the threats to smaller businesses of malicious computer viruses. And as usual, there's the usual mix of news, views and opinion from around the world of small business and enterprise. Uh, but first, some comments. I've had lots of great feedback about the interview with Greg Janforti of Right Now Technologies in Small Biz Pod number 10. Um, it kind of really seemed to strike a chord with uh, many listeners out there. Uh, one comment in particular uh, from Daryl Caldwell from Seattle. He sent me an email to say, uh, thanks for the mention on Small Biz Pod number 10. Um, again, a great show. Uh, your guest, Greg Gianforte, was excellent. Uh, this show is a keeper. So uh, thanks for that, Daryl. Glad to know that uh, you're going to be sticking it on CD and keeping it for future reference. I, I have to say, I did think Greg's interview was uh, particularly insightful and uh, nothing to do with me, of course, but uh, I thought it was a, good, a very good interview. Uh, also had a comment left on the comments section at Small Biz Pod's website from Mike Sharp at Sharp's Books. Uh, Mike says, uh, great show, nice to be able to listen to a no-nonsense informative show. Uh, I've been a regular from day one and will hopefully be benefiting from some of the tips and comments from yourself and your guests. Uh, keep it all coming and uh, maybe one day you'll like a book from us. Well, yeah, I'd love a book from you, Mike. Um, all the best, uh, Mike. And he says, P.S., what a great music selection for the last show. Um, I think with a, a touch of... Um, Sarcasm, or is it irony? I don't know. Um, I'd also like to say, finally, um, a thank you to Orange Welly. The, it's a new site um, which takes a sideways look at the world of podcasting. And uh, Orange Welly's reviewed Small Biz Pod in its usual irreverent and amusing fashion. Uh, and I'd also like to thank Rob at R-Site Solutions, uh, who uh, chose to conduct an interview me with me on his blog. So thank you guys for that. Right, so um, <clears throat> the old actor's uh, aphorism is never work with children and animals. Uh, that's how the saying goes. But when both of these two can create an extremely profitable business opportunity, uh, that old saying may prove to be very wide of the mark. Um, it's children and pets that have been the focus for two Scottish women now based in Leeds who've created one of the most unusual uh, pet care ranges um, using materials invented by US space agency NASA. 
Um, so to tell us more about their entrepreneurial trials and tribulations today, uh, I'd like to welcome to Small Biz Pod uh, Chrissy Slater, who, with her business partner Lydia Ross, runs Scratch and Newton. Chrissy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Um, so, what is it that uh, that propelled you into into the world of running your own business? Well, it was my business partner Lydia. She ran her own business. Um, looking after cats and one family had asked her to look after some guinea pigs oh, a good two years ago in November and um, she went to the hutch to feed the guinea pigs put the food in and they were nowhere to be seen it was a really wet and windy day they were shut up in their beds and they didn't want to come out right. so she left the food in and went walking through the woods with some dogs because she was doing dog walking as well rang me up and said Chrissy I think I've had an idea and um, told me that she wanted to do a hutch cover. And um, I said, surely somebody must be doing this. Looked into it and realized that it was a complete niche. Hmm. So yeah. there was only one way to go from there. We had to do it. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, there, there is nothing, nothing comparable on the market? Not at the moment, no. I mean, we design protected everything as well. Yeah. Um, so that sort of gives us a bit of protection. But no, it's, it's, it's absolutely mad that this is a... a part of the market which is completely neglected as far as products go yeah i mean it's amazing how often um some of the the, the brightest uh, business ideas are to to for many what would appear to be some of the most obvious but also some of those ideas that just come bolt out of the blue to somebody as you say walking a dog absolutely absolutely when Lydia called me up and we actually started researching the market, we did various things like visiting pet shops, for example, and saying, you know, do you have such a thing? Um, all of them said, no, we don't. And if you're going to do one, please come and visit us again. Um, we visited various rabbit and guinea pig owners, talked to them. No, nope, nothing there. Everybody used to use an old bit of tarpaulin or an old bit of carpet with a brick. And that was that. So the animal wasn't getting any light, it wasn't getting any ventilation, and it wasn't being allowed to see out. It was just living, really, for six months of its life in a, a wooden box, which is mm. absolutely horrible. Mm. And um, so we started to look into how to design things, and at the same time, we're researching the market, not just in the UK, but internationally, to see whether there was a, some sort of a trend. And the most interesting thing that we found was that as more and more um, of the, the two parents return to work rather than the mum staying at home, yeah. they still want to have pets, but the focus is on low-maintenance pets. And equally, because they're both out of the home, they want to spoil their pets because they've got the guilt factor of not spending much time with them. Yeah, yeah. So the, the consumer spending is, is going through the roof as far as pets go. I mean, in, in 2004, over Christmas, in the UK alone, £10 million was spent on pets for mm -hmm. the Christmas presents. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. mad. But, you know, people are, you know, they're humanising pets. They're starting to call them names like Dave and Colin and... Yeah. Cyril and things, you know, no, yeah. no longer is the dog called Rover or, you know, and, and, and this, this trend is, is, is really, really changing. And I think we're really lucky to have found this gap in the market that we've entered into it where small animal ownership is on the increase and uh, equally people are, are willing to spend on their pets. Yeah, absolutely. So how did the, uh, this, this material that you use that, that NASA invented, wow. how, did you, how did you come upon that? That was amazing. Um, Lydia was reading um, a magazine one day. Um, I, can't, I think it might have been a pet care magazine. 
And there was a guy who'd uh, been interviewed on the magazine talking about how he had insulated his entire garden shed for his rabbits over the winter. And he'd named this material. And um, he'd, he'd said, oh, th- this is where you can get this material from. We went to that source and found out that we could actually track it back as far as Israel. Right. Went to Israel, and Israel said, oh, this was actually developed by NASA for the right. Apollo Space Shuttle. <laughs> and it just it was ludicrous. So we said, right, okay, well, we want some of this, because there must be something we can do with it. If this guy can insulate a shed, how can we turn this into something that we can you know, make it um, beneficial to every pet? Yeah. And um, looked at doing this cover. And uh, then we thought, well, people are coming to us all the time now saying, you know, our bottles are freezing and it's really warm in the winter and there's algae growing in the bottles, uh, sorry, warm in the summer and there's Mm. algae growing in the bottles in the summer and, you know, what can we do? So we looked to this material to try and make it into something that we could cover bottles with to keep it cool in the summer, stop it freezing in the winter. And the NASP material did the very thing. NASA actually contacted us in Christmas last year, and we were going, they were saying, yeah, um, hi, this is Dan Lackney from NASA, and we were going, yeah, yeah, sure it is, mate, you know, yeah, yeah, whatever. And um, he was saying, no, it is, it really is. He said, "Um, we do this spin-off annual, and um, we send it to Congress, we send it to tens of thousands of business across the world. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's basically about how people um, can uh, make good use of our technology. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah. Um, so they sent, they asked for a bottle snug. We sent one over, they authenticated the material, and they even tracked down the original, you know, the actual uh, inventor of the material. And um, so now they've asked us to appear on the front cover of the 2005 annual. Fantastic story. <laughs> Fantastic oh, no, story. I bet, I bet Congress never thought that the, uh, the the national space budget would be justified by a pair of Scots women making oh, uh, making guinea pig covers in, uh, in the know, UK. It's quite an extraordinary the, story. Absolutely, Alex. And the thing is, you have these real head shaking moments. You know, yeah. sometimes the things that we've we've that happened to us over the past what well two years really. You just sit there sometimes and you just yeah. shake your head. But he- headquarters had. Um, said that there was an anthrax machine on the front of the annual and that what is what had gone to headquarters for authorization and they said oh my god you know space exploration is supposed to be a peaceful mission bring on the bunnies yeah. so at that point <laughs> they said you know get some photos because we want to put you on the front of the cover so Fantastic. it's just amazing really yeah uh, it's, no, it's extraordinary extraordinary story really um but i guess <laughs> typical of the of the unusual things that that do happen that you could never predict when you when you step into the world of uh, sort of enterprise and running your own business. All sorts of weird and wonderful things happen, Absolutely. which is why I think uh, those that that are brave enough to to take the plunge uh, enjoy it so much. Oh, absolutely! It's absolutely phenomenal. You know, I just, I just, I'm so happy, and I know Lydia is as well. We're just, we're just both so happy to be in the position that we're in. Yeah. You know, every hutch hugger that we sell, or hutch snuggle, or any product that we sell, we just think, you know, that's another pet that's life has been enhanced. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just tremendous. It really is filling a need. It's great. But from <laughs> a from a business perspective, have there been? I mean, are there any, um, you know, experiences that you have or, or personal traits that you think have helped you um, succeed in, in what's, as far as I understand, becoming an increasingly uh, successful business? Absolutely. I mean, I think um, when Lydia and I started um, Scratch and Newton, we went to various um, speeches by entrepreneurs 
entrepreneurs like Simon Woodruff. You yeah. had um, Karam Billiamora that did the Cobra beer. Mm-hmm. We went to Sahar and Bobby who did the Coffee of the Public. And we listened very carefully to what they said. And they all said that you need to have a mix. You need to have somebody who's a visionary, who's an enthuser, who, who really, really can can be put in front of anybody yeah. and they love what they're doing. And you need somebody who's got the organizational skills, who's got the financial background, um, you know, and who's got the real sort of drive to push the business forward and do the deals and the negotiation. And, and I'm that person and Lydia's the visionary and the enthuser. Yeah. And, and so it works really well because Lydia's always going, oh, my God, we must do this. And I'm going, whoa, whoa, hang on a minute. <laughs> you know, and it works really, really, yeah. really well. Really well. So teamwork, uh, secret of, of your success. Absolutely. And it's just, it's just going out and meeting people, going to lots of networking days and, and getting yourself known and talking to people about their experiences and, and drawing from what they say and, you know, really sort of taking on board uh, people's comments who have done it before. Yeah. And, um, you know, just sort of forming your own opinions from that, really. Yeah. Now, I mean, two two women in the world of of business. Have you faced any any sort of challenges, any sexism, uh, any concerns mm. along that front, or has it been pretty plain sailing? Um, no, I think I think the thing is, Alex, is that what what we have found a real challenge is, is not just two women, but the fact that it's pets, and yeah. you know, the fact that yes, there are situations where we haven't been taken seriously there was mm-hmm. one particular situation where we had um we did a presentation to a, a, a room full of business angels and potential investors and we were um at the end of the presentation we were approached by a lot of people who were, who were very interested in, yeah. and one entrepreneur said um you know i'd really like to invest in your business but i have one question and i said well, what's that and he said um, what's going to happen when you decide to have babies? Isn't everything going to fall apart? So, yeah. you know, I just said, well, really, you know, that's none of your business, love. Um, you know, it was just, it, you do get the, the comment like, like that going on, but, you know, why, should, why on earth should having a baby stop you being an entrepreneur? God only knows, but, you know. But, and, and there's various things as well, like, um, you know, we, I think when we went for finance, for example, yeah. when we went for financial backing, uh, we were turned down by 14 different banks. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that was, uh, it was a challenge because at first we started, at first we were going to banks and saying, you know, cap in hand, please can you help us? This is our business plan. We're really good business, honestly. To really sort of hardening ourselves to realizing, yeah. hang on a minute, this is two women talking about loving to care for pets, you know, and we're looking at how on earth is, is a bank going to take us on? We need some serious commercial sense going on here. So yeah. eventually it got to the stage where, you know, we walked down, we sat in front of the bank, we had a business plan, our financials, and says, right, this is where we're going. Are you coming with us? Simple yeah. as that. Yeah. And, you know, so yes, we have learned to sort of toughen up and not be as, as sensitive as we were when we first started, but... Yeah, I think we're always going to face that in, in some way, shape, or form. And I do think that women have to almost be better performers mm-hmm. than men in certain aspects to, to even be recognized. But, you know, that, that's cool. We, we can do that. We can deal with that. <laughs> Good. You seem to be, and we love seem working to be, with men, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. You seem to be coping very well. Um, I, I, as I mentioned sort of at the outset, I, certainly if you, if you visit the, the, um, the website for the business, 
um, it's it's a nice, very nice, light-hearted, and uh, to me seems predominantly aimed at um, a, a sort of kids. Really, um, I can imagine right. it's sort of cartoony, and I can imagine kids sitting in front of your in front of your website with their parents saying, so "We've got to get got to get our little guinea pig one of those," and so on and so forth. Um, have you put any thought into how you actually target the the, the children's market? Um, and have you got any you know advice for other businesses that might be looking to to sort of target that that potential mm. sector? It's a really really tricky one because there are so many rules and regulations yeah. Yeah. about marketing to children, uh, even if you're not trying to sell anything. Um, I think that. One one thing that we wanted to do was we want to show that we have got a strong, endearing brand yeah. and something that is recognized by all. Um, the way we did that was to do our website. We had much advice about how to do the website. Oh, well, you need to do it like a portal and you need to have um, advertisements from connecting businesses on the website. And we didn't want any of that. We, we do not want our website... Um, to show that it is uh, a marketing sell. Mm-hmm. Above all, we, we do care about the pets, and our message is, is quite clear. You know, we, we basically we want to educate, we want to give people uh, more information to um, make them aware um, about how to care for these pets. Because the average rabbit dies at like three or four years old. Rabbits can live up to nine or ten years old if they're, if they're properly cared for. Yeah. Um, for the children's side of things, the only thing we, we we don't want to sell to children. We want children to recognise our brand and to gain awareness of how um, of, of animal husbandry. Really, mm-hmm. um, one of the ways we wanted to do that was we wanted to um, try and, and, and visit schools. So we've linked in with um, a lot of welfare. Um, societies and, and okay. charities who actually do go into schools anyway. Um, so, so the the strategic plan is for you know us to be making school packs so that the children can go home, they can play on the website. There's games there, there's uh, yeah. exams that they can sit and get the scratch and newton certificate. Um, there's lots and lots of things that they can do, um, which fit in with the national curriculum. But at the same time, the the message is to, to help them to care for these animals. And the thing that fueled that was because so many guinea pig and rabbit owners we spoke to were parents who had bought their child the pet and then had been left to care for them yeah. Yeah. because the children lost interest. Yeah. So it's, it's really we were trying to maintain children's interest in, you know, in these pets and really endear them to them. I mean, if you look at the website, for example, the brand is is a very, very strong brand. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it lends itself to all sorts of things, merchandising, cartoons. Yeah. You know, it's limitless, really. Um, The products um, that we we offer, um, that has a different database. If we have somebody who goes into the shop site and buys one of our products, their details are kept to a separate database to the, the people who actually sign into a fun club. Yeah. So, yeah. We so don't I mean, you, actually... you have yeah, you've got you've got sort of discrete parts. One which is is selling the products, and another which is really about uh, an educational site as much as Absolute, anything else. That's it. Yeah. You've got it absolutely, yeah. and the two are very much apart. But yet, to to Joe Blogs going onto the website to learn and then clicking over to the shop, um, it's it's the same website, but they actually are two different sites. Yeah. 
Okay. Hmm. Fine. So um, next five years, what are your what are your plans? What's happening for Scratch and Newton over the next few oh. months and years? Not much, just a bit of global domination. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I think, yeah, it's got to be. I mean, we, um, we're planning to be nationwide by year three. We've just gone past year one, and we're, we're in the, the biggest independent pet retailers in the country, and they've got UK coverage, yeah. 165 stores. We're now mopping up the gap, so between the small retailers and the large retailers, we're going after the medium ones and yeah. the garden centres. And then um, we want to branch out, we want to go into Europe, and we want to go into the US. Um, and that's our plan, really, because it's like this worldwide. Worldwide, there's there's just a need for rabbits and guinea pigs to have products, not just hutch covers and, and bottle covers, but there's all sorts of things there. And, and that's what we want to focus on. And, you know, we just want everybody to think pink and yellow. When they walk into a shop <laughs> and the pink and yellow corner is Scratch and Newton. Yeah. You know, that, yeah. that's our vision. We want a Scratch and Newton world. We want, <laughs> um, you know, when you go to Eureka or places like that where yeah, it's yeah. a complete experience. Yeah. For, yeah. You know, we want the experience for rabbits and guinea pigs. You know, this is how it feels like to be a rabbit and a guinea pig. Yeah. You know, yeah. and, and it's a, that's it's a, what we want. A, 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 really, a really sort of complete, rounded brand, really. I mean, a, a sort of super brand for, for the pet care industry absolutely for rabbits and guinea pigs okay uh chrissy slater it's been great talking to you thanks uh very much for coming on to the show today no problem it's been great talking to you too alex now on to some news items as i'm sure you all all know yesterday london won the bid to host the 2012 olympics and uh, Experian, the Information Solutions Group, has released data anticipating the positive impact that's likely to happen as a result of the Olympic bid win on the construction industry in the UK. Uh, construction output reached £80 billion in 2004 for the first time, uh, but Experian believe this figure will grow by 4% by 2007 when the the first tranche of building projects get underway uh, to support the Olympics five years later. Now I know big construction firms share prices boomed yesterday and the fact that London will be hosting the Olympics can can only really be good news for their suppliers and businesses of all sizes across the capital and uh, I guess beyond. Uh, now on to something on flexible working. More and more f- small firms are adopting flexible working hours for staff, according to uh, research from Microsoft and the pollsters YouGov. Over half, 54% of small business employees do some form of work at home already. Uh, but rather surprisingly, one in three said that they'd actually be willing to take a pay cut if their employers allowed them to work more flexibly. Uh, John Coulthard, who's director of small business at Microsoft, comments uh, the survey shows a clear trend towards a more flexible small business workforce. Now, this survey this week is also backed up by findings from ACAS, the Arbitration and Conciliation Service, which shows that the number of workplaces offering staff the opportunity to work flexibly has almost doubled in the last six years. Um, the proportion of uh, employers offering flexible working has, in fact, increased significantly. So, for example, home working is up from 16 to 28%, um, term time only working up from 14 to 28%, flexi time up from 19 to 26%. 
Um, job sharing up from 31 to 41%, and switching from full to part-time working up from 46 to 64%. So uh, definitely family-friendly employers out there. Now, um, interesting blog post, and I've got Anita Campbell uh, to thank for drawing my attention to it, from uh, Joel Krauss, who is CEO of a company called Jotspot. And he, in his blog, reckons that it's great now to be an entrepreneur these days because it's so much cheaper to set up. Uh, And this means that more people than ever are likely to be drawn into setting up their own business. Uh, I guess he looks primarily at online business, although many of his points uh, apply to, to business in general, and, and he gives some reasons for you know, his assertion. Um, Hardware is cheaper, infrastructure software is free, uh, global labour markets means there's uh, access to inexpensive uh, talent and uh, specialisms out there, uh, and search engine marketing um, lets you reach real niche markets very cheaply. Um, it's another blog uh, on business and on small business that's well worth a visit Um, so I will put a link into the show notes for you so you can check out Joel's uh, blog Okay, so in the news this week um, Sven Jaschen, a 19-year-old virus writer is going on trial in Germany charged with writing and distributing the Sasa virus that you may remember caused Havoc uh, last year, May 2004, I think it was, and uh, estimated cost of the Sasa virus to companies and businesses of all sizes around the globe was around £4 billion. So uh, clearly a guy who created absolute mayhem uh, and is going on trial for it, uh, anticipated perhaps to get five years. He is only 19 years old, though. So what do people think about that? Well, I'm Delighted to welcome to Small Biz Pod today Greg Day uh, from McAfee, who are the uh, antivirus experts, amongst other things. Uh, Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, now, this guy Yashin, do you think if he actually uh, goes down for five years that his example will deter future hackers and creators of viruses? Um, I think we've certainly seen in the last few years a few instances of authors truly being tracked down and prosecuted. And I think uh, that is a very definite wake-up call to a lot of the virus authors who consider this a fun game to some degree. Am I smarter than you? Am I better than you? Can I get onto your system? That there is true consequences to doing this. Uh, And what we have seen in previous examples is in, in many of these instances where people get caught, They may not be the most skilled authors out there. They've just done this to prove to themselves that they are smart enough to do this. And uh, a lot of them are very naive to the possible impact of of being caught and the sentencing that can go along with it. Of course, there are some uh, creators of viruses and some hackers who uh, have much more clearly criminal intentions. Are those guys harder to spot and harder to stop? Um... I uh, I would certainly agree that there is a very clear criminal motive going on behind a lot of today's attacks. A, a lot of it is driven towards financial gain. Yeah. And I think when you've got that involved, you start to get somebody that is far more focused on that intent and uh, can be harder to track down. 
than uh, your kind of amateur burglar. It, it's kind of the, the analogy of, you know, a, a professional cat burglar versus somebody who wanders down the street and, and sees an opportunity. One is prepared and, and takes preemptive measures to try and cover their tracks, and uh, the other just seizes the moment. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, now, of course, uh, big businesses, I know the UK Coast Guard and British Airways had problems with this SASA virus, uh, British Airways having to close down its check-in desks. But very often it's the, the smaller businesses, uh, the, the list kind of businesses that listen to Small Biz Pod, who are most vulnerable um, to these kind of uh, malicious virus attacks. Do you, uh, Greg, have any advice for those types of businesses about what they can do? And if, if ultimately there really is any way of stopping this kind of attack from causing havoc on smaller uh, networks that, that SMEs might be using? Sure. And uh, I always think it's a, a challenging space for the small businesses because it seems there are a million and one security solutions, some that are cheap, some that are very expensive, um, but a lot of them seem very complex and uh, a different world for the small business to understand and, and to get a grip on. Um, at a basic level, there are three things we advise every customer from the, the consumer upwards. Um, Number one is to have some antivirus software installed, and uh, it should be current and up-to-date. Um, and we kind of tie almost into that, uh, that band now, um, spyware protection. We actually see more spyware, adware, junkware. Uh, a lot of this ties into this kind of uh, identity theft. Yeah. Um, so that's, if you like, becoming a, a natural add-in to traditional antivirus defense. Um, number two is to have a firewall. Uh, a firewall really allows you to kind of restrict down just those channels of communication on your machine that are required. And, and it's a very simple kind of risk, uh, you know, mitigation exercise. If I only allow what I need, then there's far less chance for people to get in. Um, and number three is to keep your system patched. Um, things like SASA made use of a, a security exploit to be able to gain permissions onto customers' environments to infect them. Um, so if you can keep ahead and, and try and keep those patches up to date, then uh, the attack no longer can be successful. And uh, we are starting to see very much a growth now in technologies designed to complement that kind of patching maintenance that's required. Um, and these are all of these kind of intrusion prevention technologies. And I'm happy to say for the smaller customers, you're seeing some of the fruits of those kind of naturally progressing their way into basic AV products where we're kind of seeing this blurring of how attacks work. So I would suggest look to see if your baseline antivirus product includes some of those features for free. And uh, you may want to start to look at those kind of more high-end security products. Okay. Is it possible, though, for the likes of McAvee and Norton and the other providers of antivirus software to predict, to uh, kill off a threat before it happens? That's an interesting question. Um, we obviously watch all of the vulnerabilities and, and exploits that come out. Um, and, and from kind of years of experience, it's, uh, we've got reasonably good at predicting the likelihood of, of what may come from uh, any new vulnerability or exploit, you know, whether it will lead to an attack. Um, very much the, the easy way to look at it at the highest level is when something new comes out, just how many people are, are, are prone to it. Um, for example, in the last few days, uh, there was a new vulnerability announced in Internet Explorer. Now, 
pretty well the whole world uses this tool. Mm -hmm. So as an attacker, it's a great launch technique to uh, to get my attack around the world very quickly. So as we see all of these developments on a day-to-day basis, uh, there are certainly things and judgments that we can make to uh, to try and guesstimate whether this may turn into a big attack. Um, and as we look at these things, then we very much try and, and be proactive uh, back to our customers and, and you know, give them the heads up saying this is either something you should take very seriously um, and, and guarantee that you've got your patch in place and, and detection in place or it's just something more trivial. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so in the continual fight to defend against these uh, virus creators, mm-hmm. uh, do you ever consider turning poachers to game keepers and uh, hiring the likes of Yashin to, to, to give you an inside track on how these these guys think? Um, that, from a, from a security industry, is an absolute no-no. It's, uh, it's, it's an age-old tradition that... Uh, you can't come from the dark side of the force right. to use a Star Warsism <laughs> okay. to uh, to the good side. Um, it's an interesting difference because if you look in the hacker world, the world's best hackers end up becoming the highest paid pen testers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, they prove their skills. Um, I think the difference is there. You can prove your skills without necessarily causing financial impact to a business. Yeah. It's, it's possible to monitor those skills. Whereas within the virus world, the only way you prove yourself is to have really caused a lot of pain and damage to people, and and, and people have long memories. Okay, great stuff. Thank you very much, Greg Day, for joining us today. Thank you. Now, that just about brings me to the end of Small Biz Pod today. Um, As ever, always absolutely delighted to hear any comments or suggestions from you, so uh, do visit uh, the blog www.smallbizpod.co.uk or email me at alex at smallbizpod.co.uk um, as ever as well uh, audio comments uh, are much appreciated just plug in a, a cheap microphone into the edge of your computer and uh, record away I'd love to hear uh, some some other voices on the show from listeners so, so please feel free to do that uh, anything up to sort of 5 megs uh, will get through to me no problem at all, so uh, don't be worried about the bandwidth. Now, um, on what's been a, a sad day, although this show is likely to go out on, on Friday the 8th, I am recording it on the, the 7th, uh, so what's been a, a sad day for London um, and for the people of London, and, and my condolences go out to all those who who've suffered in any way today, um, I thought I'd play a, a somber but um, uh, also uplifting piece of music, uh, again chosen from electromancer.com, and it's a track called Someone by Riazon. <laughs> 